Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Welcome to Pit Pass Moto, the show that brings you deep dive interviews with the motorcycle industry insiders and racers that make the sport move. I'm host Dale Spangler, and this week I bring you another special episode, this time about my experience meeting the lead singer of the Lumineers, Wesley Schultz. And as a bonus, I'm going to read a feature about him that I wrote a few years ago about how motorcycles influence his music. This episode is brought to you by Moto America. See the fastest racing on two wheels. It's Moto America Superbikes at New Jersey, September 22nd through the 24th, with six racing classes, including Superbikes and the ever-popular King of the Baggers Championships. Meet the riders and teams in the open race paddock, or choose from available VIP and camping packages for the ultimate fan experience. It's Moto America Superbikes in New Jersey, September 22nd through the 24th, Reserve your tickets and camping spot today by visiting MotoAmerica.com. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening to Pit Pass Moto. I'm your host, Dale Spangler. Yeah, thought I'd bring you something a little different this week. And uh, yeah, everything kind of stemmed off of my wife and I made this recent trip to Bend, Oregon to watch the Luminaires play. And uh, as part of that trip, I was able to meet the lead singer, Wesley Schultz, afterward and talk with him in person. And I can't say enough about how nice he is. He is the most down-to-earth guy I think I've ever met. Uh, you see him on stage playing. He's energetic. He just seems super cool. But then you meet him in person, even cooler. Such a nice guy. Um, a little background, though, before I jump into reading the story I wrote about Wesley Schultz a few years ago. Um, I was given the opportunity to write a feature about Wesley and uh, how he enjoys riding motorcycles and using it to help him write his music uh, a few years ago. This was right around the start of COVID. Originally, I was supposed to actually travel to the Hudson Valley, north of New York City, where Wesley has a place there, has some property. He kind of splits his time between Denver, Colorado, and uh, the Hudson Valley, north of New York City. Because of all the COVID restrictions, you know, travel restrictions were starting to happen during that. It was, you know, the spring of 2020. So I didn't end up getting to go travel to meet him and conduct the interview. And this was all, by the way, for Meta Magazine. Uh, good friends over there, Andrew and Ben, gave me the opportunity to write this story. I love writing. I love music. It's a huge part of my life. So I jumped at the opportunity to mix the two, motorcycles and music, in one story. So I was ecstatic to write this piece. And uh, a little nervous, of course, you know, with someone as big as Wesley Schultz and the Lumineers, I was a little bit nervous for the phone call, but I felt prepared going in. And um, yeah, we ended up talking for, I want to say, almost two hours on the phone. Of course, I recorded the interview and that's what I used to, to write the piece. But um, what a nice guy. I felt like we just clicked right away. Felt like we were old friends reconnecting. 
you know, felt really casual and just cool. And so, yeah, like I said, we spoke for nearly two hours and then, uh, yeah, went back and wrote the piece and, uh, the piece came out in Meta Magazine, now Vana, so that they've changed their name from Meta to Vana. After the piece came out, um, of course he got copies of it and, um, yeah, we kind of stayed connected after that. I don't know how, you know, if somehow I ended up uh, friending him on Instagram and we've stayed connected ever since, even though he doesn't really follow that many people. So I felt like lucky, I guess you could say. But when I saw that the show was coming to the, the Luminaires were going to come play in Bend, only about five hours from my house here in Boise. And I told my wife, I said, hey, this is a perfect opportunity. Let's go see him again. We actually saw him when they came to Boise last year in July. And so, yeah, we were super excited. It was a good excuse for a little road trip. Drove over on a Friday. The show was on a Saturday. And uh, I couldn't believe it. it was so exciting. It happened to correspond with uh, my wife and I having our 15th anniversary here on September 20th. So sort of made it like a little anniversary trip at the same time. But uh, yeah, we were super excited. Of course, uh, we got there. Wesley, such a nice guy, as I said, took care of us, gave us these amazing seats that were I mean, I swear, I think we were 20 feet from him when he was singing. Uh, it was just absolutely incredible. And then once the show was over, I mean, it was almost a two-hour show. It was like, I tell people I'm not a religious person, but it was probably the closest thing I could think of to a church experience, a religious experience, I should say. It was just absolutely incredible. Packed crowd, beautiful setting in Bend, Oregon. And then afterwards, he gave us this little envelope and we got our tickets and there was a note in there and it said, afterwards, put this sticker on come to this gate and we'll come get you. And so, wow, didn't even expect it. I was just happy to go see him play, but he gave us an invite to come backstage and I got to meet Wesley. Here it was three years later after writing this piece. And I think we talked for maybe 10 minutes or so and just such a nice guy. I mean, he told me, he said, like, he remembers back when we did the interview and he's like, oh, you were so nice to me. And I was like, oh my God, this is Wesley Schultz of the Luminaires telling me this, you know, and I'm thinking you're the one that's been so nice to me, hooking me up with these tickets and, you know, letting me come backstage and meet him. So it was just such a wonderful experience. Definitely made me a fan for life. Uh, he was rocking his Triumph motorcycles hat when I got to meet him backstage since he has a custom 1200 scrambler from triumph motorcycles that was kind of part of that story i wrote for meta back then but just can't say enough about how nice he is and just love their music fan for life that's for sure so with that in mind i thought i would uh, read the feature that i wrote about wesley that appears in volume 20 which is the winter 2020 issue of meta magazine i believe you can still purchase back copies if anybody wants to grab a uh, an old issue of meta magazine like i said it's now vana magazine so you have to go to the vana website to be able to get these back issues but anyways i hope you enjoy uh this story that i wrote about wesley and how he uh loves motorcycles and music Wesley Schultz on Motorcycles and Music. Words by Dale Spangler. Photos by Ryan Hant. Like many of us obsessed with two wheels, Wesley Schultz got his first bike at a young age. As he describes it, it was one of those dumb and dumber mini bikes where two people can fit on the seat if needed. I had a neighbor who was a mechanic, recalls Schultz, and one time he came over and took it apart and put it back together and made sure that the governor wasn't working on it anymore. You could haul ass on that thing. Not long after, when he was 11 years old, Schultz got his first dirt bike, a Honda XR80 that his dad bought for him. 
He learned to ride in the woods near his home in Ramsey, New Jersey, located in the northeast part of the state, close to the New York border, and near the Catskill Mountains and Hudson River. I created a little dirt track in these protected woods nearby, remembers Schultz. I raked out a path from a walking path that was already there, created a jump, and a couple of friends and I could go out there and ride laps and see how fast we could go and how high we could get. Like most kids that age, riding often involved a bit of mischief. I remember calling my friend and saying, look out your window in 10 minutes. I was way across town, so I took the dirt bike on all these side streets, made it all the way there, rode by him and gave him the finger, kept going, and then got home and called him again on my landline and said, did you see me? Schultz has many fond memories of his childhood in New Jersey, riding bicycles and motorcycles, for which he is grateful. I wasn't very good at it, but I loved doing it, says Schultz. I remember riding dirt bikes and getting in these little accidents, falling on the dirt and wet leaves and things like that, whereas concrete is not nearly as forgiving. You take a little fall so you don't take a big fall. Fast forward to the present, and despite his success as a musician, Wesley Schultz is a man who loves riding motorcycles. As the frontman of the band The Lumineers, he helped the band gain worldwide recognition and a massive following with his instantly recognizable, raspy yet soothing voice, honest and heartfelt lyrics and songwriting, and incredible musicianship. Add to that the other band members' musical abilities, catchy melodies, infectious live energy, and a refreshingly raw sound, and the result is nearly 11 million monthly Spotify followers, with a combined 1.5 billion listens to its top five songs. They are a magical combination of extremely talented artists who put in the hard work and paid their dues by grinding it out on the live music circuit until they achieved success with their breakout 2012 self-titled album, The Lumineers. With The Lumineers based in Colorado, Schultz spends most of his time in the Denver area, but he still tries to visit where he grew up and the Catskills as often as he can. To Schultz, the area has a special allure, and for many music fans and musicians, the area is hallowed ground with the likes of Jimi Hendrix, Van Morrison, Bob Dylan, David Bowie, Janis Joplin, and other well-known musicians having lived and recorded in the area at one time or another. Schultz is also drawn to the Catskills because of the well-maintained scenic, twisty roads that are perfect for motorcycle riding. Spending time in both Colorado and the Catskills throughout the year, Schultz believes that in their own ways, both places play a big part in his life. I grew up about two hours south of where I'm at now, in the Catskills. This whole region just feels like home, explained Schultz. When we came out to make our second record, Cleopatra, we were about to record in Colorado. We were going to do a 1970s move and turn a barn into a studio. Then the guy running us the barn found out who we were and tripled the price. And we were like, what? With the band scheduled to record in three weeks, Schultz called upon his friend Simon Felice of the band The Felice Brothers to help them find a studio to record in. Felice, who's from the Catskills, lined up a studio called The Clubhouse in Rhinebeck, New York, where bands like The National and others have recorded. So, it was sort of by happenstance that we came back out here, recalls Schultz. And when we got here, I started to realize there was this power to the area. It's like a vortex. Something happened. It's like what I've heard about Taos, New Mexico, but it happened here. All these people in the past, Van Morrison and Bob Dylan. I mean, Jimi Hendrix used to plug in his amp and play on his deck, and it bounced off the mountains. He loved that sound, and the neighbors never complained. So many iconic artists came up here and called this home for a while. It's got a power to it that's kind of hard to describe, 
other than to say it's an energy that stirs something in you. We'll get back to the conversation in one moment, but first, here's a word from our sponsor. Ready to up your game and learn more about the thrilling world of sports betting? Introducing Double Down with Breslow, the ultimate podcast about the business of sports gambling. Join me, James Breslow, and a long list of expert guests as we dive into the art and science of the sports betting industry. Evolving regulations, technology enhancements, and the meteoric rise in the number of players makes this sector the fastest growing and most intriguing in the world. Unlock the business secrets from many of the industry's most recognizable C-suite executives, including famous odds makers and influencers. Every episode of Double Down with Breslow is packed with insider tips, deeply skilled analysis, and in-depth discussions. Don't miss out on the ultimate resource for mastering the business of sports betting. Listen to Double Down with Breslow on the Evergreen Podcast Network or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Double Down with Breslow, the business of sports betting podcast. After that fateful trip to the Catskills to record the album Cleopatra, the energy Schultz initially felt began to carry over into his motorcycle riding in the area. It's something that has become a significant part of his songwriting and musical process. I've been riding around on motorcycles a lot through this area for the last five years when I'm here, which is a lot, and I use it as a jumping-off point for lyrical ideas and sometimes even melodies, explained Schultz. On Cleopatra, the song Angela wasn't even going to be on the album, and it became this defining song for the album. It wasn't written yet. And then we started riding it while riding motorcycles. We were on bikes, Simon and I, just riding around, and we would stop randomly, and over the sound of the engines, we would shout lyrics. Sort of sing-shouting the lyrics, loud enough to hear the verses of Angela. On another occasion, he recalls riding at night on an eerie, winding, and narrow road, and coming upon a bank of fog. Fog, he describes, as the type that feels like one is riding through a ghost house. And that's when the last verse of the song, Angela, came to him. And it keeps happening. The Luminaires are currently in the process of writing a new record. Schultz feels like the best song on the album doesn't even have a name yet, but it's a song he thinks can be a foundational track. A track that Schultz wrote the majority of the lyrics for while out riding. Not that riding motorcycles is the end-all for how he writes music, but he does believe the two go hand in hand. It's not necessarily that I get out on the bike and say I'm going to write lyrics today, Schultz points out. It's more like it just sometimes happens. I think part of it is where you ride. I'm riding on backcountry roads that I know really well now after five years, so I'm not thinking about where I'm going. I plot out a big loop, and I go do that loop. Back in Denver, though, Schultz used to ride back and forth to the band's studio, but he didn't enjoy riding in the city with all of its traffic and people who don't always see motorcycles the same way they do cars. It's not that he worried about rider error. He was concerned about getting hit. So Schultz sticks to mountain and backcountry roads when he's in Denver because he finds it much more relaxing and enjoyable. As it turns out, splitting his time between Denver and the Catskills is a perfect way for Schultz to keep himself motivated and focused on his music. He draws parallels between the two places. After moving to Denver 11 years ago, he realized the Rocky Mountains defined the area in much the same way the Catskills defined southeastern New York. The Rockies are a young mountain range. They're adolescents. They're angry. They look aggressive. The Catskill Mountains are old and they're wise. They're smoothed over. There's wisdom in those mountains, opines Schultz. He senses a similar power and energy in the Colorado Rockies to what he feels when in the Catskills. I go back to Denver and it's like, that's my journey. I grew up around here, which is the Catskills, but I wanted to go somewhere on my own. It wasn't necessary, but I found it to be just such an incredible place. 
Like the rest of the world, life changed significantly for Wesley Schultz due to COVID-19. Bands are no longer touring. Music venues remain closed. Instead of dwelling on it, Schultz tries to take things in stride, not look too far ahead, enjoy spending time with his family, live in the moment, and be present instead of always looking ahead to the future. I'm just trying to write as much as I can, but I've also never had this time with my family. It's like that Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. The thing about Michael that they bring up is how present he was. He had this ability to be present. He wouldn't get too far ahead of himself, and he wouldn't live in the past either. It's a good example to remember. When asked if he thinks it will be an incredibly special moment when he and his bandmates finally get to play live music shows again, Schulz's reply is an emphatic yes. He believes it will be a celebration for everybody because people can only stream so many shows online. For him, it's about the feeling one gets when they're there, live and in person. Music can be that way for me and for all people, says Schultz. We're getting together, having someone say something on a microphone, sing or something. The communal aspect of it is healing. It's cathartic. You can't get that by virtually being there. We've evolved to be social creatures, so when live shows come back, there's going to be a renewed appreciation for the fact that we can all do that together. I think that people are going to be more emotional than ever because we couldn't do that for a little while and we figured out how important it was to us. Even though Wesley Schultz and the Lumineers are unable to play in front of a live audience right now, he believes the adrenaline and everything else that goes along with playing live music has to go somewhere. It doesn't just go away. Instead, he believes that energy gets redirected towards something else. Triumph Motorcycles recently presented Schultz with a 1200XC Scrambler, complete with custom paint. The bike gave him a renewed reason to get out and ride motorcycles in the Catskills, a perfect way to redirect his energy. I didn't see the bike before it was unveiled in person. I had a discussion with Triumph and with the artist Dar who did the custom paint, describes Schultz. And then they made this thing that's just perfect. And I'm super grateful because I love riding. I've been riding anytime it's a clear day. It's become a catalyst for coming up with lyrics and melodies. You feel like you have this hit of dopamine, but you have to be ready to react quickly. You can't be on your phone. You can't be anywhere else in your mind. Well, that was the story. Definitely interesting for me to hear that just reading it out loud and to kind of think back. And it seems so long ago now. Like, I, I don't know about you guys, but for me, COVID just felt like it was so long ago, but it really wasn't. And so... That's what makes it even more incredible to read this story out loud and to, uh, you know, really just go back to that moment of COVID and kind of think, wow, you know, we thought things were never going to be the same again. And here we are, 2023, and got to go see the Lumineers play. And like Wesley talks about in this piece, when we come back and we get to hear live music again, I really think that, you know, I could tell from people in Bend at their show that there really is a renewed appreciation for music. And uh, I think people just kind of, maybe all of us probably took things like that for granted. If there's one thing that COVID did for us, I think it shook us out of those kind of thoughts and uh, yeah, just made us appreciate little things in our life a little more, whether it's music, whether it's motorcycles. Um, yeah, don't take things for granted. And so Wesley and I even talked about it when I got to meet him after the show. And he just said, you know, I'm feeling that what you said in this article that, you know, like it was emotional and people were, you know, singing out loud and just kind of letting themselves go and just being in the moment and enjoying it. And um, 
that's just one of the things I love about music. It's so similar to motorcycles in that you know you get that dopamine hit. It's the rush. It's just motorcycles, music, two of my favorite things. So I hope you enjoyed me uh, reading this. Um, I tried to do the best I could on the reading. I haven't done anything like that before, but hope it came out all right for you. And uh, hope you enjoyed the episode. Appreciate you guys listening. And uh, hope you'll join me next week on another episode of Pit Pass Moto. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, follow Pit Pass Moto on your favorite podcast listening app so you never miss an episode. And if you have a moment, please rate and review our show. We'd greatly appreciate it. You can also follow us on social media or visit pitpassmotorsports.com where you can listen to the past episodes and check out the new Pit Pass Motorsports blog powered by Podium Life, featuring articles and industry news focused exclusively on two-wheel and four-wheel motorsports. Head to pitpassmotorsports.com to check it out. I'm Dale Spangler. I hope you'll join us next week for another episode of Pit Pass Moto. Thanks for listening. Have you ever wanted to know how to win a Formula One Grand Prix? I mean, really know. Know about the driver tactics from the cockpit, the strategy calls from the pit wall, and even the mind games in the paddock. There's a lot more that goes into winning a Grand Prix than just 90 minutes of racing. So every week on the F1 Strategy Report, we're taking a deep dive into the decisions that shape every result. Hey there, my name is Michael Laminato, and every week I'm joined by an expert guest from the paddock to talk through the big calls that won the race and the missteps that resulted in bitter defeat. Before every race, we'll look back at the previous year's result and consult the current form guide, and we'll be in your feed after every Grand Prix dissecting the the outcome and what it means for the championship. So for your regular hit of Formula One analysis, subscribe to the F1 Strategy Report wherever you get your favourite podcasts. The Strategy Report is a beer mogul podcast on the Evergreen Podcasts Network. My name's Michael Laminato and I'll catch you after the chequered flag.